and verses 17 and 18. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Uh, The focal point of the book of Revelation is Jesus. That's what the book is about. It's about uh, the future. It's about an unveiling. Uh, the Greek word for it is, help me with this, apok alopsis, which basically means the revealing of the full glory of Jesus. If you want to see the full glory of Jesus, then my suggestion is that you look at it in the book of Revelation. But the book was written originally by the Apostle John. It, was, it had an intention to it. It was an intention to send it to seven uh, churches that were in Asia Minor. And from these seven churches, it was the intention for it to be sent around the whole Christian world. And it was also the intention that you might get your fingers on it. So here is this, is this revelation of the full glory of Jesus Christ that was written for you. That's the wonderful thing. The book of Revelation was written for you. Here it is, the gift. The gift of what Jesus is, who he is, what he looks like, what his future will be, was for you. What a wonderful gift. It's better that you have this than an Easter egg. There was a bit sort of unsure about how it's a bit disturbing. These churches that were written to at this time uh, were actually experiencing difficulty and persecution. By the time John wrote the book of Revelation, it's 96 uh, AD, 60 years after the crucifixion roughly, and Christianity to some has become a very, very powerful sect. To others, it has become the thing that has just revolutioned their life. They've fallen in love with this Jesus But to others, it's become an oppressive regime that they must get rid of. And that's why we find John uh, in exile on the Isle of Patmos. Because he had been preaching about Jesus, he had been arrested, and they'd sent him here out of the way. So the book is actually written to assure Christians that all their troubles under persecution are only temporary. We need to keep that in mind when we're reading the the book. That in fact, Jesus is coming and will return in the full glory that we read about in Revelation. Its it's intent then is very pastoral. I want to say that to you as uh, as somebody um, that has done the Bible college thing because so many times we get wrapped up with the book of Revelation about times and dates and all that sort of stuff, but you have to go back to the intent. And the intent was to care for the church, 
to pastorally help them through an intense situation. So actually, it is a very pastoral book. And it's interesting that even theologians say, well, actually, 1 Timothy, Titus, those are the pastoral books. No, they're not just the pastoral books. That's what men have done this. John's intention was to care for some people in intense tribulation. So if you've got your, your Bibles open, uh, at, at chapter 1, you'll find that uh, starting in verse 9 and running through to verse 19, the first vision that's given is this glorified Jesus and the church. And then to verse 10, uh, the, uh, the writer tells us, it was the Lord's day and he was, on the, he was in the Spirit. So there's hope for you lot and I, because we're in the Lord's day, we can be in the Spirit. But here, note what it means to be in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He heard a voice, and he was told to write what he saw. Being in the Spirit means that you will encounter Jesus. It means that you are open to it. It means that you want to do that. So it's a good test, isn't it? How filled, how in the Spirit am I? It's a good question. So if you go out having not met with Jesus today, my suggestion is that you get yourself on your knees and you say, Lord, fill me again. Because here is a Jesus that wants to come and touch you. Wonderful. Well, hear this. He's exiled, yet worshipping some exile people here today. Some people that just feel that they're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Things are going, here's the thing. Here's your key to wrong place and right and wrong time. Worship. Worship. That's the only answer that John gives. He's in the wrong place, he thinks, the wrong time amongst the wrong people, and he worships. There's your key. There's your key. He's exiled. Look at what happens to exiled people that worship. They get visions of the glorified Jesus. <laughs> eh? It makes you think a bit of exile wouldn't do us a bit amiss, would it really? Look what you have, and yet you don't see the glorified Jesus. Press through in worship. But also... Not only did he hear, not only was he worshipping, he heard, he saw, and he felt Jesus. Can you hear those three things? It is important that you know those three things. One, he heard. And he'll write down what he heard. He saw a glorious vision of the glorified Jesus, and he felt the touch of Jesus on his shoulder. This is the way in which you encounter Jesus. You don't just encounter him in your mind. No, this is a religion, if you like, of a see, hear, and feel. This is what we're about, folks. If you don't know those three things, let me encourage you to come back later and worship him for all that you've got until you do. Because here the understanding is that even in exile, we can feel, hear, know the Son of God. Exiled, yet Jesus comes to him. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes you think, well, I'm in my exile here. I'm in my sort of little place. Can Jesus come to me? Yes, absolutely, 100%. Yes, he can. 
Here's this wonderful thing. John thinks, oh no. And Jesus said, I'll find you. I will come to you. This is the message you need to hear. This is our saviour. This is the God in whom we worship. This is the glorified Jesus. He comes and meets with us. He comes to our isles of Patmos and reveals himself. Then you get to verse 12 and 16. The specific vision is given. Jesus, this magnificent, glorious, powerful, majestic Jesus, moving through his church, uh, symbolized by these strange-looking golden um, lampstands. This is Jesus' inclination. Do you love that? That Jesus' inclination is to move amongst his church. That don't, doesn't that want you to give a high value on church? You wanna, do you not want to think church is the, the greatest thing that, that Jesus has ever invented? Why is it that? Because he moves amongst it. Note where he moves, folks. Well, does he move? Yes, he does meet you individually. But here is his inclination. His inclination, his heart's desire is that he wants to meet with his church. He wants to move amongst us. That's wonderful. That must make gathering quite exciting. Jesus is going to move amongst us. Wonderful. I will walk amongst my church. That's uh, his work, his promise. That is encouraging, isn't it? I think sometimes we need to give a bit more esteem to church. Jesus did. We need to do that. We need to do that in our theology and practice. We need to give the church high value. Why? Because Nigel Lloyd is leading it. No, because Jesus moves amongst it. That's where you find it. So let's look at these verses then and see how we go. Let's look at this thing about falling at Jesus' feet. Verse 17 We come to the effects of the vision. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Wow. It's really interesting, isn't it? In a day when Jesus is my mate. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is somebody that I can take him or leave him. Jesus is somebody that happens on Sundays. Jesus is somebody that fits into my diary. Not in this case. If you meet with Jesus, you fall at his feet as though dead. Is this the Jesus that you know? Is this the one that you encounter? This is the one. This is the risen one. Therefore, this is the one that we encounter. This is the one. What John heard and saw took him to the floor. I don't think his, his, his response is emotional. I think it is appropriate. When you encounter the living Jesus Christ in all his glory, you only have one thing that you can do, and that is to get down on your knees. To get down on your knees. This person just isn't... I know he's a friend of sinners, but he's also magnificent and majestic. This is the same response that we see in the Old Testament to to Daniel. Daniel chapter 10 and verse 7 and 9. I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision. But 
a great trembling fell upon me, upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. This is some meeting, isn't it? Some meeting. Be interesting to know whether, you know, on our normal Sunday gatherings, as the presence of Sunday gathering, as the presence of God comes with us, that some people think, it's just, I just need to get out of here because of the presence. So I was left alone and I saw this great vision and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed. Wow. And I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words. And as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Wow. To stand in an equal eye-to-eye pose with the magnificent, glorious, powerful, majestic Jesus is not how we should behave in his presence. Just two phrases here help us to see that. He's in those passages, it says this, in his hand he holds, he holds seven stars. Which seven stars? I don't think it matters really. Pick any seven you like and then ask yourself, where do you compare with that? Where do you scratch up to that then? Come here, Jesus. Come and talk to me. Oh, you know, this little thing, you know, well, I'm angry with God. I've got something that I want to say to you. What? This is the one that holds seven stars. Who are you? It says, his face was shining as the sun in its full strength. So the, the impression was that the sun in its full strength, really at the hottest place on earth that you can be, is sort of the idea. And it's no wonder that the psalmist has to come to this conclusion. What is man that you are mindful of him? And I wonder whether your road, your route, your life, whether Christian or no, is actually that you've come to consider that. What is man that you are mindful of him? Who are you? This is Jesus. You are man. So am I. I have a little bit of a fascination with Nigel Kennedy. I always think that he needs to wash. And yet... Sometimes you just think of him as being absolutely brilliant. Watched a documentary uh, just the other uh, day on, on just him on tour. I don't know whether any of you saw this. And he seemed to be able to be brilliant at the, just the drop of a hat. And you look at somebody like that and you think, how does that work? I personally, whether you won't know, tried to learn the viola for two years. After the end of two years, because when we went to school, we had to learn a musical instrument. That's, that was the end of it, me. And the reason that I got fed up is that all the violinists were going like this. And over here, there's the violas that sort of go, eh. And, and everybody after that said, weren't the violinists wonderful? And over here was the depressed violas. And I thought, this is just going to send me suicidal. I cannot do this. Anyway, watching Nigel Kennedy, he, he has this thing with people that he's awestruck with. And he'll go to them and he'll go, he'll look at them and he'll go, there's only, he'll go, respect, man. 
And I wonder whether actually that the Jesus that you have met, you've stood before and said, respect man. Hebrews 13 says that we worship him with reverence and awe. He's a consuming fire. It says the Bible tells us that the beginning of wisdom is not found in what we think, but in the fear of God. What we think is irrelevant. Who he is is very irrelevant. When you look at Jesus, can I encourage you to not forget who you are standing in front of? This is Jesus. John fell at his feet. Jesus with mere John. You might think it was strange that John would fall at his feet because John knew Jesus very well. John was in the inner circle. John was the one that Jesus so-called loved the bestest. He was comfortable with him. He walked with him. He talked with him day after day for, for three years. This is the one that he was close with. John had leaned on him at the Last Supper, both receiving comfort for what was either to be revealed or, I don't know, John's just leaning on him, leaning on Jesus. John was that close. Why then would John behave like this? Why is John lying down in the dirt as if dead. I think that you will find that he's immediately (coughs) conscious of who he is, of his own insignificance, of his own shortcomings, of his own humanity and his own sin. Wow. This is how you meet with Jesus. This is a key. This is how you do it. This is something for us to learn. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord, this is Isaiah chapter 6, seated upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him stood seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, it's cool to be here, God. It's really cool. Now I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When you see the King, the Lord of hosts, when you see the risen, glorified Jesus, you are aware of you. You are aware of you. Now, let me just put this in context. Like John, I suppose, in regard to God, Isaiah was the best man that you could find in the country. He was the man of God, the prophet of God, the holy man. But when he saw himself compared with God, he could see all about himself. 
and all about his own sin. And I want to ask you that really serious question. When you are in the presence of God, is it to make you feel good? Or are you aware of your end? Are you here just to have a feel good or encounter God? If you want to encounter the real, true and living God, you need to be aware of two things. He is awesomely majestic and you are awesomely sinful. That's the gospel. Jesus is magnificent. He's glorious. He's powerful. He's moving through his church. We are nothing compared to him. But you do get a touch from Jesus. That is wonderful, isn't it? The Lord was not satisfied to leave him in the dirt like a dead man. Isn't that really encouraging? The Lord does not want to leave you in the dirt like a dead man. Hear that? Hear that? If you are not a Christian, the Lord does not want to leave you dead in your sins. Hear that? Here's the gospel again. This is wonderful. It's true for you. It's true for you if you're a Christian. It's true for you if you are not a Christian. Here it comes. He extends his hand to you, places it on your right shoulder, and he says, fear not. This is the invitation of the risen, majestic, all-powerful Jesus who is alive. He comes, extends his hand, places it on you, sinful man, and says, fear not. I think that's just wonderful. It makes me all go gooey. (laughs) This is the same right hand. Think about this. This is the same right hand that has held seven stars. Wow. This is the same right hand that just a few moments ago he said to John, I want you to know how much power and authority that I have. And suddenly this power and authority just comes and rests on you. Just comes and touches your your right hand. Okay, Rupert, I'd like you to come here. I'd like you to I'd like you to lie on the floor prostrate. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I know it's a clean shirt. Oh no, that's right. I don't I don't I I don't need to look at me, but I just want you, to sh- I want you to know how Jesus meets with you. I want you to imagine that I know this is difficult, that I am this risen, glorified Jesus, and this is this sinful, worthless John. And you see, and he's on Patmos, and he's meeting with me. Now what he does is that he comes and he puts his right hand on the shoulder, So what he's beginning to do is he's beginning to lift him and he's bringing him up and suddenly the touch means that we are eye to eye. The touch... (laughs) 50 times. Yeah. What about his shirt? What about his shirt? Suddenly the one that could have no eye contact, the one who is awesomely majestic, the one who is awesomely powerful drives this person down to the ground, as it were, in his awesomeness. And 
the person responds appropriately knows what it is. When he speaks, he speaks to him as well because he's got him down there and he's saying to him, fear not. This is what he speaks into his life, fear not. Jesus does not leave you looking at the gulf between your sin and his awesomeness. He moves towards you. It's a restoring hand. It's a pick-up hand. It's a bring-you-to-him bring hand. Literally, the Greek says this. It's time, Rupert, to stop fearing. Time to stop being afraid. He's actually, I love this from one of the commentators, it is a command to now be comfortable in his presence. John, Rise and be comfortable with me. Wow. It's a reassurance, I think. He doesn't deserve it, but this is grace. The grace of Jesus Christ is that Jesus is awesome. You are sinful. You do not deserve to be in in his presence. But he rises down, places his hand on your shoulder, lifts you up and says, be comfortable in my presence. That's grace. The reassurance is found all bound up in who this Jesus was. Be comfortable in the presence of of the first and the last. Isn't that extraordinary? <laughs> it's not be comfortable, you know, with, with Fleur and Rupert. No, I want you to be comfortable with the first and the last. That is a privilege, folks, isn't it? <laughs> Come and stand eye to eye with the first and last. Come and be, as, as, as will be described, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Come and be with this person. Who on earth would you rather be with? You have an invitation to come and stand with the one who said, I am the first and the last. What an invitation. Who was, who is, and who is to come. Come and stand with me in my realm, the realm of eternity. The first and last. That's why Paul could write, uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of life is eternal life through Jesus Christ because we're, we're taken into his realm. Come and stand in my eternity. Come and stand with the living one. The living one. That's a tremendous statement. Who do you stand with today? Who's the invitation open for today? To meet the Jesus of the cross? No. Not to meet the Jesus of the cross. The Jesus on the cross was the person that died for your sins, yes. But the one that you encounter is the living one. And we must remember that. You meet the living one. The one who is alive. John 14 verse 6 said, I am the way, the truth and the life. I am alive. You meet today not a dead one, but a living one. That's who we are worshipping. We are not worshipping a dead God. We're worshipping one who's alive. That's, what, that's the reassurance to John who's standing in front of him. I'm the first and the last and the living one. It's lovely. And he's moving amongst the church. <laughs> 
It's true. What Johnny's experience was this. He could hear him. He could see him. He could feel his touch. It's I'm alive. I'm alive. Look what you worship. Look what you can come to. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 16. has some great translations. I prefer the one that's not in my Bible. Here's the one that's in my Bible. Who has become a priest, not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. That's the ESV. It's sort of all right. But when I've just said that to you, you've just all sat there and just thought, yeah. But there's another translation. It's lovely. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 16. He burst through the chains of death by the power of an endless life. Yes. Wonderful. How could, he, how, could death, how could death keep him? Because he has an endless life. Here's death and here's Pilate and here's all the other people. And Pilate think we can put him to death. And he goes, I am eternal. How can he bring you into eternal life? Simply this, because he is eternal. He can give it because he is. And this is who Jesus was standing, this John was standing in front of. To, uh, who you are standing in front of right now. This is Resurrection Sunday. Our Jesus not only died for your sin, but burst through the gate, the chains of death for you. For you. You know, when the hymn writer writes uh, this, and can it be, they're writing it from the perspective of their own experience. So suddenly they're realizing their eternity has come to them. So when you get to the long my imprisoned uh, lay, fast bound in sin and, da- and what is it, nature's night, this is Rupert on the floor down here, down that to the. And then he says, Thine eyes diffused a quickening ray. I woke. The dungeon of my sin, it flamed with light. What happened? My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose. I went forth. I followed thee. That's what the gospel is. That's how we respond. And if you didn't get it in the first time, the hymn writer says it again. I rose. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That's what happens. It's wonderful. This is it. I just think, oh, come on. I know that you shouldn't do toilet things and all sorts of... But sometimes, sometimes when, when, you, when you look at it, there are certain elements that probably need placing in certain parts of the body because Christians do need to be awoke either electrically or nuclearly in regard to the salvation that they've got. My chains fell off. It's wonderful. They just dropped from me. I rose. The the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ was you. You were there. That's why it's significant. It's not a day in history. It's your day in history. That's why you can celebrate it. Do you know the one thing that has bugged me about this last weekend is that I've never seen so many Facebook things about the cross and resurrection. It's almost as if, and people do, don't they? Even I was, but when I came into church, I had to do this. I know he is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen, full stop. He was risen yesterday, 2,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago, all the time. We worship a risen God, and because he's risen, we can burst through death. That's the thing about it. Don't get too excited. Let's finish this. 
Then John gets reminded, hear this if you are not a Christian. And I have the keys of death and hell. Hades. Death and Hades, in a way, are expressions, but they will help you to understand your fate unless you know Jesus. There's a distinction. Death is the condition. Hades is the place. Death is Sheol in the Old Testament, the place of the dead. Here is Jesus. I have the key. I hold the key. What does that mean? It means I hold the key. I can let you, I can hold the key to that or or open the door into my heaven. I am the one who controls the door to death and Hades. I can open it, I can close it. I have the key to do that. I know this is very simple, but you need to know where your eternal life is found. It's found in approaching the one who has the key. He has the key. You cannot find it in any other place than him. He has the key. You come to him and you say, I believe you've got the key. It's just as simple as that. This is, these were not uncommon words because, because John uh, would have been with Peter. Peter would have talked to him because Peter said, was told this, I also say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. The gates of hell will not stop me from rescuing people. Why? Because I have the key. <laughs> Have the key. If you want to come to him today and know eternal life, you can do that quite safely because he's the only one that has the key. One key. He has got it. It's fantastic, isn't it? Wonderful. <laughs> How will he do it? Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised on the third day. The gates are his to open because he is the only one that has been able to conquer death and Hades. How does he have the key to eternal life? Because he has conquered death and Hades. That's the thing. Salvation is nothing therefore to do with you it's everything that to do with him. He is alive, therefore he is able to give you eternal life. Um, if the band can come up. I just feel that I w- I'd like to say this uh, to anybody that is not a follower of Jesus. I'd like you to, to know this. Where it says in that passage, He laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. If you can feel the touch of Jesus on your shoulder this this morning, then let him rise you into his presence. Let him pick you up into his presence. If you know Jesus is speaking to you, this is the invitation for John to meet with the risen Jesus. This is the same invitation. Jesus said this, he laid his right hand on me and he said to me, fear not. My, my thing for you is fear not. 
Come, let Jesus. He knows that you are sinful. He knows that he is majestic. Let him lift you up by, he, by your shoulder. Bring, him, bring you into his eternity. So that you, and let him declare more and more about who he is. Now I don't know whether you, uh, how you want to do that. I'm going to give you uh, several options uh, to do that. But for the uh, one option is that I, I think you can do that without us. So you can do that on your own and say, even right now, Jesus, I just want to follow you. And we can do that in the context of worship. And then you can come and tell somebody that you've done that. If you'd like to do that away for us, I'm going to just put some of these things at the back. One, one is this, a New Testament. So that you can read Revelation <laughs> and those first verses again so that you can get to know what Jesus did. I've got some of those which are just tracks that tell you how you can become a Christian. You can, you can pick one of those up. You can say to somebody, here, come and tell me about this. But if we, we can put those at the backs by the offering table, if Rupert, you can do that. Uh, so there are loads of options, but I want you to hear those words if you are not a Christian. Fear not. He laid his right, his right hand on me and he said to me, fear not. Okay.